hello, 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 welcome to Talking Bollocks. Yes, I'm back. I'm back. We're back. You're back. The bollocks is back. Everything is back. Hello. Welcome to Talking Bollocks. If you want to sign up at Patreon and get loads of really cool shit all month, lots of bits and pieces dropping, two or three posts every week, live podcasts, you name it, go to patreon.com forward slash Howard H. Smith. That's it. That's the advert. And that's the only advert. So if you sign up at Patreon, you keep the podcast advert free, proudly advert free for nine years now. That's right. Over those nine years, nobody has wanted to advertise on it. That is what I'm trying to tell you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I've been turning adverts down left, right and centre. No, I haven't. Because, and here's why, um, I say cunt too much. (laughs) Hee hee! It suddenly occurred to me, I haven't said it on the podcast for quite a while. So there you go. Not going to start, you know, just needlessly cunt, 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 cunt saying it. But, um, yeah, just a bit. One for the old school there, you pack of cunts. (laughs) Anyway, I'm Howard. I does this podcast. I also um, front the Motorcast, the official Motorhead podcast. I do the Reducer podcast, which is on football with two comedy friends of mine. I um, also sing in a band called Acid Rain. I also do some spoken word shows as well. The Secret History of Thrash, and that is going to be starting again soon. So, uh, well, I haven't got any venues booked yet, but I am going to be getting on that motherfucker. I also sings in a UK band called Acid Rain. Uh, And that's that. That's me. This is your show. Hello. Welcome. If you're new, where the fuck you've been for the last nine years. And if you're a regular, welcome back. So, as always, it's a little wander over to the latest news in heavy metal. Well, it's been a bit quiet. I've got got to be honest. It's been a bit quiet um I, I it's not my fault just the way it happens isn't it hey but there's a couple of stories that i wanted to pick up on this not so much a story i want to pick up on but john karabi i never focused on the good bad and ugly of the music industry this man sang on one Motley Crue album a fucking lifetime ago. And we are still hearing from him. I mean, possibly one of the greatest acts of stretching out one single achievement to make an entire career. Now, don't get me wrong, at the time, it was massive. They were one of the biggest bands in the world. So, yeah. But... Not for a long time. You know, Vince has been back for quite a while now. Look, but that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't give a shit. The point I'm saying is, you either think, Jesus Christ, why am I still hearing from this nugget? Or you think, fair fucks, man. He is still managing to remain relevant despite the fact that he did one album with Motley Crue and that's fucking it. Bizarre, isn't it? He also fronted... um, He was welcomed back into the Dead Daisies, who he fronted in 2015 and 2019. So there you go. Um, He's managed to stay on good terms with them. Isn't that nice? Marvellous. Yeah, just... I mean... Has anybody in the fucking world... This is what I'm trying to say. Has anyone ever, ever thought... I wonder what John Karabi is up to these days. And 
and jumped on the laptop phone whatever and do a little bit of a dig what's what's that metal legend well there's no need anyway because it appears his life is constantly fucking monitored by blabbermouth jeez anyway i've got nothing against the guy i'm just saying fucking hell there's got to be something more interesting going on here's another headline that does that is going to do nothing for you five finger death punch singer ivan moody moves to KN, KN, Wyoming, and opens two businesses. Now, if that's not a headline that doesn't make you want to fucking read the article, I don't know what is. I mean, that's got some of the most awesome things you could possibly want in a fucking heavy metal headline, hasn't it? It's got Five Finger Death Punch, it's got The Singer, it's got Wyoming, and it's got two businesses opening. I mean, what isn't fucking happening with that story? That's the kind of shit you want all over the place, isn't it, eh? Oh, Vince Neil nips into town and pays two parking tickets. Yeah, Blackie Lawless has just been for a shit. I mean, what's the fucking... I mean, yeah, it's not like he's, like, open two presents. Fair enough, he's opening two businesses. But, I mean, he's a singer in a band. It's a music news website. This is not music news. This is personal interest. This is, again, we're back to that point that I seem to mention quite a few times. This is what we are now. This is where we are now. This is media. So it doesn't matter the fact that we're, you know, this is a heavy metal community and, you know, oh, it's, it's different. Yeah, we're, you know, we're off on the sidelines. We're not mainstream. Well, guess what? Our fucking media is as mainstream as it could be. Reporting on Five Finger Death Punch's singer, moving house and opening two new fucking businesses. Who gives a living shit as to how... He could have opened five fucking airlines... I don't give a shit. Honestly, and it's not exactly a conversation starter, is it? Eh? I mean, you haven't, you haven't got you haven't got like metalers meeting up and going. Oh, by the way, have you seen what uh, Ivan Moody's doing? Eh? Yeah, he's moved to Wyoming, opened two new businesses. Oh, has he? No, no one's having that fucking conversation ever. Not even Ivan Moody. Not even the other members of fucking Five Finger Death Punch could give a shit how many businesses he's fucking opened. Christ. I've got way too involved in that for my own good. Not quite sure. That just hit a nerve, that. Oh, well, you know, that happens sometimes. Anyway. And now the final, final story, because uh, there's not much around at the moment, unless you, unless you want me to comment on the latest um, uh, wonderfully filmed Metallica song from their tour, you know, or anything else. It, basically, there's not a lot on, you know, or Ted fucking Nugent, what a fucking gammon that cunt is and you see there you go straight away that was a proper c word and that was just so i would have said it eventually anyway there you go <laughs> anyway i did like this headline m shadows of avenge sevenfold um it's okay to hate our new album <laughs> now i um i well as you all know well not all know but if you've listened to the latest episode of old bollocks you'll know that i'm a bit of a fan of the new avenge sevenfold album in fact I'm, I'm a very big fan of it um, for the reasons why a lot of people won't be and as he explains with our new record right now all you see are 10 out of 10 reviews and 0 out of 10 reviews but it's the best way to be because the people that hate it absolutely hate it 
it's one of those things where in 2023, having a zero out of 10 is actually better than anything you could ask for because people are talking and it's a weird society we live in at this point. All an artist can do is, re- is be a reflection of themselves at any point in time, which might sound um, like he's got his head up his ass. And yeah, it might sound a bit pretentious, but frankly, I think that's absolutely spot on. In fact, so much so I'm gonna read it again. All an artist can do is be a reflection of themselves at any point in time. There's nothing worse than when people are trying to put you in a box and want you to write the same music you wrote when you were when you were high in school or 20 years old. Yeah, hello. I think uh, certain artists are uh, saying, yep, that's why you got this album. Stop fucking with us. Those were reflections of who we were back then. We were aggressive young kids. We were just kind of all over the place making a certain type of music. And every record kind of changed. But this one, in particular, is much more musical in terms of not having to have one foot fully in metal. It's got so many different um, electric influences that we've had our whole life that we were never really able to kind of quantify. If you think about The Residents or Mr Bungle, all these different things that we were growing up and we're listening to, and I think it's just where we're at right now. It's a different type of record. The philosophy, all of it, is different. And so it's not going to appeal to people that want the same thing or more of the same um, in their life right now. It doesn't mean they're not going to get they're not going to get it here. Sorry, it doesn't mean they're not going to get here. Maybe they're just not here right now. Maybe it's our job to put our arm around them and say, hey, we're up the street at this bar and let's hang out there. This is what we're doing now. There are so many psychological things that go into if people like records or or not, or if they don't, or what they're listening to at the time. And it's not really our job to figure that out. It's just our job to put something out that we totally back and we appreciate, and we'll see where it goes. It's hard really to talk about, because there's really no right or wrong answer. It's okay to hate this record. I think that's all absolute class. I really do. And you know, I'm sorry if you're tired of my little Avenged Sevenfold loving right now, but it's such a unique fucking record that has been done for all the right reasons that, you know, it's just fucking great. Um, oh, I've, I've only just seen this story. Dino Canazares explains why Fear Factory didn't take part in any paid meet and greets during Rise of the Machines tour. Right, I'm not going to read the the interview I'll tell you without reading it he's going to go on about oh you know well when you come to our shows you should be able to meet the band and I think it's lame that blah 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 right okay so I'm going to pause it here and let's just see and basically not in so many words yeah yeah um I was right a lot of times fans may think bands are are taking the piss by simply doing a meet and greet (laughs) yeah uh yeah, I mean, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of right, kind of wrong, but sort of right anyway. Fuck it. That was a just complete embarrassment, wasn't it? Fuck it. It wasn't really, wasn't worth putting it on pause. So let's get on with the interview, shall we? Um, as you know, friend of the show, D.X. Ferris. D like in Derek. X as in X-ray. Ferris like the wheel. D.X. Ferris has joined us. We're going to be talking Slayer. We're going to be talking bollocks, and we're going to be talking about music and life in fucking general. You can watch the video on the YouTube channel, or you can listen here. And welcome back to the podcast, DX Ferris. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me back. It's been a while. 
It, it has been a while. We were talking, um, we were talking movies last time, and funnily enough, uh, I was looking at my background before we, um, uh, before we started this, and I was thinking, I hope it doesn't remind you too much of um, Bull. Oh, you got me again, Howard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do you do this shit to me? Oh, <laughs> I was not prepared for that. I don't know what I thought I was getting into, but I wasn't ready for that. Uh, yeah it's it's uh completely had me first time i saw it i was like i was all in i had no idea what was coming right at yeah it's event. clearly one kind of movie clearly yeah until yeah. it's not <laughs> yeah yeah it's like yeah wow but uh but anyway look we did we, we, we we've done a podcast on a on a, a bunch of, a whole bunch of movies and stuff um but it's been awesome. a weird. It's been a weird couple of years. It's been a weird couple of years, and I'm. I, I hope I'm back now. I've I've certainly made all the uh, arrangements to be back now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I was listening to the the Slayer pro, the Slayer podcast, Talking Slayer, which is uh, out now. Kids, have a listen. Wherever um, you get podcasts, most yes, yeah. There'll be just sort just just search Talking Slayer in your podcast app, and it should pop up. It did in mine. It will in yours. I'm sure. Um, thing is that listening to that, you have been very, you have been very honest at one point. Um, I well, not at one point at several points, but, um, it, you were just, uh, basically saying that you've, you know, you've had a tough time. You're doing work that you were doing one kind of work two years ago. And now you're doing another kind of work and it, it's, you know, it's physically, it's more demanding. And, um, this sounds like this podcast is, is, is a bit of a, a I don't want to be overdramatic, but a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel at last. Yeah, very much. You know, very much. You know, like a lot of people, the pandemic uh, kind of upended my world. Not kind of. It did. It did. And, um, you know, I've been working my my nuts off. This is a podcast that I've been thinking about doing for maybe six, maybe eight years. I I don't yeah. know how well you can see the the mess behind me. On one of the walls, I have one of those uh, giant things that looks like uh, what you see in crime movies when the detectives are trying <laughs> to piece everything together, like a giant map. You know, I have one of those for some life goals and projects, and it's literally been on the board since 2018. And, and do, do you know what? I now I now realize why your room is like it is okay and i apologize for listeners uh check out the video <laughs> but i know but because it basically the, this if, if if we were in if we were in the the buddy cop movie that is your life i'd be turning to you and going look at this mess and you'd be saying do you see to you it looks like a mess but yeah, me, but it's all there man yeah there's a there, there's a system <laughs> it is yeah. you know the system is that i've written two or three books I, i've lost count of how many i've written two or three books since i thoroughly cleaned up my office last which you know on one hand is uh you know one of my grandfathers is rolling over in his grave he used to say that you should have a clean workstation and on paper i agree with that but on the other hand i got other shit to do um yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I could have a clean office or I could have a new edition of the Slayer book and a Slayer podcast out. Yeah. And I've made that choice. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it, it, it is very much to get back to your point. It is very much like a light at the end of the tunnel for the last couple of years. I've been working a lot of overtime, just going, going, going. Um, any of you people out there who are athletes can relate to this. You know, I work five days real hard. The sixth day that I get off, I'm pretty beat, pretty sore. But then on the seventh day, the second day off in a row you have, that's when it really hits you. Yeah. yeah. That's when you're really tough. I mean, in American 
in American football, rugby with pads, we'll, we'll grossly oversimplify it. They yeah. have meetings the day after a game. You know, they are they yeah. have them up and doing things, but it's two days after the game, after all these inhuman super collisions. That's when they give them time off. So it's been a tough couple of years, and I've been trying to get this podcast off the ground constantly. And uh, when the 10th anniversary of the death of the late, great Jeff Hanneman, the Slayer guitarist, the guy who wrote the best songs, the guy who wrote some of the best riffs, uh, when the 10th anniversary of his death was in line, when I could see it, when it was there like the end of the tunnel, all of a sudden it was like the skies parted, the clouds opened up. I just all of a sudden had a lane and suddenly I was able to complete an updated edition of the book. I was finally able to start this uh, this podcast. And it was, uh, I think it was Gertha who said, be bold and mighty forces will come to your aid. And once I, I felt like I had an open lane to that, a few great people came out and helped me and we were able to get this rolling. So after a couple of years, and I'll shut up in just a second here, no, but after a couple of years of really being uh, you know, down in the dungeon room and, and being breathless and not being able to make any forward progress in life, it felt um, there's there's some sunshine. You know, I'm out here talking yeah. Slayer to people and people are reacting to it. And yeah, I, I, maybe I can I swear on this this podcast, go, go. dude. It's me. This I, is me you're talking to. <laughs> so at the risk of sounding like a giant emo pussy, um, I feel like I'm getting back to to being me again by by talking Slayer and and talking to this uh, working on these projects. And thank yeah. you everybody for listening to me. I know it's awesome, man. Uh, I, and I, I was I'm interested as well by. The fact that um, I took, by the way, I totally agree with that thinking about a podcast for years before doing one. I mean, I listened to podcasts for 10 years before I started mine. Um, and that gave me uh, an absolute clear understanding of what it of how I wanted people to feel listening to my podcast. You know Amen, I mean? brother. And, and, and that gives you a clear uh, like um, uh, persona an internal voice, um, you know, that gives you a, a base to start from. But you've also gone for a mixture of paid, mixture of unpaid. You've gone for using Patreon to keep adverts out of your podcast. Good idea. Like that. Um, and, and um, but, you, but like, yeah, so it's one free episode. So people basically, if they only subscribe uh, for free, will get, you know, alternate episodes. And this is going to be 12 episodes over 12 months. Is that correct? No, no, no. It's going to be weekly episodes over 12 months. Right. Sorry. Weekly episodes. Yeah. So every every week I'm, I'm recording an episode. People that support me via Patreon get every episode. They're going to get some perks on top of that. But people that just listen for free will get every other episode, basically. I'm going to right. save some of the cooler ones for the paid subscribers. But basically, you know, if you can kick in a couple bucks, a couple pounds pound sterling a week for your listeners uh then you get slayer slayage slay in uh another episode in the chronological history of slayer every other week or every week every wow week. and we're starting off with a bunch of free ones you know i'm gonna wait until i hit my stride a little bit you know starting with maybe seven That's or eight a, yeah yeah uh, yeah you, you See, can find out what the podcast is about and you can make a pretty well-informed decision about whether or not you want to support me because that's important to me you know as yeah, you said cool. adverts cool. are stupid this is this yeah. is what you get on most podcasts i'm sure you can relate to this most podcasts start off with 20 minutes of this bullshit hey 
you're hungry. What are you going to eat? You're so starving. What is there? You could starve to death. Well, mm. they got this thing now, food. You can buy food. If you go to food.com and enter uh, code talk and slayer in the in the uh yeah yeah and you'll box, get 20 percent off oh yeah uh, do you know the one i i hate manscaped it, uh, fucking jamie <laughs> jamie jaster is the worst it's a uh, it's fucking embarrassing listening to him about shaving your balls that's the last thing i want to fucking listen to ever then yeah, then then he does blue chew the pill that's gonna get you hard dude dude this is fucking cringeworthy this is yeah cringe. i mean i would do well to trade places with jamie josta do not get me wrong me too me too i'm not gonna do that no to, to my to listeners yeah it's this podcast is all killer and no filler i'm not gonna say there you go. what i've been doing for 20 minutes at the beginning of the podcast podcasts start off they lure you in with uh, a promise of a topic today we're going to talk about slayer we're going to talk about this we're going to talk about that and then you got to sit through 20 minutes of them auditioning for a youtube video or a, a slot on late night tv yeah. or some bullshit no i'm not doing that not at all yeah no um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement and we get it up within one two minutes next thing you know we're into the topic yeah yeah same here and um uh I, I over here mate the vast majority of podcast advertising is betting and online betting and it, it, it's fucking scary it really is you you can't get away from it it doesn't it doesn't even have to be a sports podcast it's it's just ubiquitous it is everywhere because they know it's going to go away there no restrictions are, have just have to come sooner or later Right. Yeah. They've, they've done that recently where I live in, uh, in the state of Ohio in the United States and, uh, everywhere you look, it's betting, betting, betting. Yeah. But the, th the thing is, the danger is of course, that it's never actually going to get banned. They're never actually going to ban, um, uh, betting advertising because the government have the biggest game in town, the lottery. Right. So and there's money in it. And once people know, are making money, you're not going to stop that. Yeah. Exactly. But anyway, as always, already veered miles off topic. <laughs> um, I, I'm 52 episodes, one a week. Um, have you got roughly roughly? We'll see how it happens. I mean, some episodes yeah. are longer than others. But, you know, if, if you're buying into a Patreon, you want to know what you're getting in for. So that's that's my projected yeah. game plan. But after you... that, it might take on a whole new life of its own. You know, maybe I'll start having guests after that. But principally, what the podcast is going to be is the title is Talk and Slayer, a metal podcast and half-assed audio book. Yes, yes. Uh, and what, what the bulk of the podcast is going to be is a half-assed potty, half-assed patio. I've just made up a whole new medium here. You did indeed. Patio book. It's a patio book. It's going to be me reading chapters from my newly revised Slayer full band biography, slayer 66 and two-thirds used to be known 10 years ago when i first published it as slayer the jeff and dave years which was that's accurate my, at that's the time. my edition yeah uh, i updated it five years ago to the uh the post relentless remastered edition gave it a whole new look updated it yeah and now five years later for uh jeff hanneman's death uh few years few years after slayer broke up uh i updated it to include their entire career so it's a book about slayer from the beginning to the end what it meant what it all means because i think it still does mean something 
So I'm going to be reading chapters from that in chronological order. So we're going to start one week with the beginning. Tom, this is a spoiler. <laughs> Slayer fans probably know this. Tom Mariah was born on 6661. So really? we're going to start that chronological story with 666, and we're going to go all the way to the end. The end at this point, even years after Slayer, of course, um, is still mysterious. We still don't know exactly how and why it ended. But in the book, I, I tell you what we do know, what I could go on the record with anyway. So that's what it's going to be. Um, metal podcast, half-assed audio book. When I say half-assed audio book, I mean like I'm doing my best to read it. I'm rehearsing it, but I'm not going to stop and edit out every little hiss and pop and yeah. mistake because i think that's going to be a little bit more interesting yeah and is it is it giving you is it giving you a kind of different um a different experience with the book as well because i mean this is a book you know very well you're on your you know your your um second update and now you're reading it out loud as well um i'm just interested to see if that's kind of having do you know what i mean you you kind of reading your own words out loud is different to hearing them in your head when you're writing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting in a couple ways. You know, one of them is um, my dad told me, my dad was an English teacher. I have some, some pedigree. I'm not saying I'm worth a shit, but my dad knew what he was talking about. Uh, my dad told me when I was four years old, I spoke a perfectly constructed 24 word sentence. And uh, he didn't write it down. He always regretted that. But that's something he told me my whole life. Like, wow, you were barely speaking and you wrote this big fucking sentence. I continued that to my detriment to a certain point. Like as as a young writer, I was like a jazz musician just going all over the fucking place, like writing these long ass Byzantine sentences that people would like editors would fuck them up. People couldn't follow them. They'd miss the point. And there would be me, the asshole writer, saying, well, it's simple. You know, just read the sentence. Take five, take like five minutes and figure out what it's about and understand how the levels of generality flow from one to the other. And Jesus Christ, am I the only one that knows the fucking Christensen method? Yeah, yeah, I was. I was. That was stupid. <laughs> so as a young writer, I was like this jazz musician that was up my own ass doing things that were technically correct and important. But who gave a fuck? Now, as an older writer, I'm obsessed with the idea of communication and getting my point across simply. I'm not trying to be a jazz musician anymore. As a yeah. writer, I'm trying to write SOD riffs. Short, <laughs> choppy, boom. Short yeah. sentence, short sentence, short sentence. And yeah. the the previous editions of the book had a little bit more of that that elaborate flavor, and I'm just trying to chop it down more trying to make it easy to follow, easy to read. So yeah, as a writer on that level, it, it is making me reassess things. And, you know, and on the other level, as a journalist, I mean, this book has been in print, as I said, off and on. No, it's been in print for 10 years now. No off and on about it. My previous Slayer book, which I wrote about the uh, the Rain and Blood album, nothing yeah. about or nothing but Rain and Blood, that was 15 years ago. Wow. You're making me feel I old. I got it when it came out. <laughs> I'm making me feel old, Howard. But that was so long ago, and I've done so many things since. I don't have all that stuff fresh in my head. So when yes. I go back and yeah. I read this this book that I wrote 16 years ago and was published 15, and this book, when I go back, I'm thinking like, "Wow, this is this is kind of good. I, mm -hmm. I I got some good shit here." 
this is all right. You know, a lot of the things that I'd forgotten and. Oh, the, I mean, the, the, the stuff in um, definitely, I mean, it'll always be the Jeff and Dave years to me, the stuff, the stuff that you researched into um, Lombardo's relationship breaking up on the court records. I mean, basically for me, you forensically broke down um, and stated as a matter of record. And this is what always makes me laugh because I always say to people, they're always like, oh, you know, well, well, you know, about Slayer going to Australia and Lombardo going, I can't go, and 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 them going, well, hang on, what the fuck? And they're all going like, oh, they should have, you know, they shouldn't have gone without him, or they should, whatever it was, they should have got him to do it. And and everybody still argues about it today as to who's to blame and all the rest of it. But the answer is actually out there. You did the research. It's a matter of record. It's yeah, fact, you basically, know, it's... you know, he'd been mentioning, he'd been, he'd been saying that, like, you know, something was going to happen, and he had a, he had a this court hearing coming up, and yeah, it was like the evidence is there to say this was Dave's big. Well, I need a pay increase, or you know, you're going to have to do without me. And of course, you don't give Kerry King, uh, Kerry King an says, ultimatum. Okay, funny you should ever. mention it. I will do without you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you do not give that man an ultimate. You don't give him an excuse to kick you out the band. Yeah, he he would have done better to say, "Listen, Carrie, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kick I'm gonna leave the band if you make me a full partner. You make me a full partner in the band, I'll leave. I'm done." Then Carrie might have considered it, but to to put a financial gun to his head and say, "Listen, I'm not gonna play these shows unless you do this, that, and the other thing." That's a miscalculation. Uh, Slayer even wrote a song about that. You against you. Whoops. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the th and and it it, it was it, and the thing is that if we're going to go there, well, we have gone there. You against you. The lyrics are typical Kerry King because he tries. He tries. He doesn't succeed, but he tries to keep his emotion out of it, and he tries to kind of lay the bare facts out as he sees it, which is like, dude, you were like you were badly advised. You fucked you. You you know, we just we just sort of let you. Um, I mean, he still doesn't manage to completely keep his you know his emotions in check because yeah. he's, he's obviously you know kind of relishing it. Um, but yeah, it's it's classic King, isn't it? It's just like really stating facts. Yeah, very much, very much. So yeah, I get deep into the breakup. Um, you know, it, it surprises me a lot of things that are in the book. You know. It, you read Blabbermouth, you see the metal websites. A metal musician can fart, and there can be, I, I call them Rupa articles, R-O-O-P-A, Rupa articles, reporting on other people's articles, Rupa articles. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. And that's yeah. that's 90%, yeah. you know, as, as a journalist, somebody who's actually studied the form, somebody who's not just typing things, I'm obsessed with content and the right way to report and the wrong way to report. And ninety percent of the metal press is Rupa articles. Somebody said this: Carrie King farted, and then I write a story about how reportedly Carrie King farted, according to this other metal site. And it's like the human centipeding of content. It starts with one piece of shit at the beginning, and yeah. one site after another just recycles it and recycles it and recycles it until it's tenth generation repeating shit. And nothing yeah. adds to it. There are yeah. things in this book that I, you know, again, 10 years ago, um, I put it out that I've still never seen anywhere else. There are things that people just have not picked up on either yeah. because they didn't want to 
read the book. I can understand that. That's part of what the podcast is for. Now you don't have to read it. <laughs> but there's stuff in there that's just ugly. That's the kind of stuff that uh, is not feel-good stuff. The yeah. kind of thing that maybe is going to rub people the wrong way that does not fit into what makes the press go every day. It, it's bigger than, you know, and then on August 14th, Carrie King reportedly farted. Like there's there's facts. There's reporting in here. There's ugly shit that changed things and reported or um, redetermined the band's career. Just nasty, nasty things. Not a lot, but there's some of them, and nobody has ever reported on that. You know, so ten years yeah. after that, this is still the only place you can find it. Awesome, man. Awesome. It's, it's. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great, great piece of work that you're doing. Um, and you know, su such a, you know, such a, uh, a key band in my life. The life band I've seen more than you know anybody else. Probably the album that affected me more than anything else um as much as i love master of puppets it will it will be number two because uh rain and blood had such an effect on me i don't I, you know i love both albums deeply but it's it's the effect it had when it landed you know and it, 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 this it's this simple the only fucking album that i had on both sides of a tape a cassette where I could listen to the album and no, I don't want to listen to anybody else. I want to listen to that again <laughs> right. on that Flip side. Raining Blood. And you could get it on a 60 minute um, cassette. You get it on a C60, you get the album twice. And that, that's it. That's the only album that ever did it. Now, presumably, well, rather it being 28 minutes long was a big, a, a big deal. But um, yeah, you could get two albums on a 90. But no, it was like Rain in Blood was just, it had to be done. Right. Um, All killer, no filler. Ten full songs, too. It's not like an EP. It's not Haunting the Chapel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, you know, as I say all the time, uh, Master of Puppets is a cathedral. It's as big as Thrash God. It's Thrash's physical graffiti. It's like the big yeah. rock and roll grandeur moment. Yeah. So Master of Puppets, while great, is a cathedral, but Rain and Blood is a slaughterhouse. And some people are cathedral people and some people are slaughterhouse people. And I want to see that slaughterhouse shit. Well, yeah, and I let's let's keep it going, shall we? If if Master of Puppets is an opera, then Rain and Blood is a, a slasher B movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. And, you know, through the, the 70s and 80s, and it's it's funny, the staying power of 80s culture, but there was something in the air there that has made 80s material from movies, music, all that stuff is still relevant. You know, we can't not visit it. And a lot yeah. of great directors came up through that that slasher movement, you know, making low budget movements. And to tie this in with current events, um, have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy 3 yet? Not yet. No, I haven't, I'm it's, afraid. It's good. I like Marvel movies. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it for people, but there is a Slayer connection in the movie. And if Brilliant. you know Slayer Love and it. you know their history, it's awesome. very, very subtle. You, you have to you have to know what we're talking about here, but listen for that. Listen Dude. for that. I keep asking on social media, did anybody pick it up? And nobody has yet. One of my favorite movies in a cinema ever gremlins 2 <laughs> angel, angel of, death. of death 
Wow. What a wonderful moment to be sitting in a giant movie theater and, and hear that come off the big screen. Uh, well, this is back in the 80s as well, where you had no fucking idea that this was coming and you have no way of knowing. This shit just happened. You know, you didn't find out three months before the movie came out that there was a Slayer song in it. Right. You know, you found out, fuck me, that's Slayer. Slayer, that, that, that's Slayer. Oh, and it's finished. It's gone. <laughs> but you still sat there going, fucking hell, that was Slayer. Christ, that was Slayer. Yeah, you know? yeah. Slayer is in there. Slayer is in the mix. That's one of the uh, the early episodes that I'm going to record in the next week or two Is is about how Slayer is relevant how this is slayer's world and we're just living in it and you know sometimes <laughs> they they pop up overtly and sometimes they pop up you know as a theme and sometimes maybe they set the table for things that happened yeah um i i mean i i, I miss him man but um funnily enough i spoke to because th it's the next episode that's coming out so we can talk about this i spoke to craig lucero of, of forbidden um nice. And he was saying, we went all around the houses. We covered God knows how many topics. But um, uh, he was saying that, because, of course, Bostaff, X Forbidden. And he was basically saying that, like, Kerry and Bostaff, he's like, he's hard at it. They're hard at it. They have been for some time. And, you know, this will, you, you, you know how Kerry King operates, right? This right. is how he operates. There will not be a fucking word about anything and then there will be, boom! It's here. This is the band. Here. This is this is the band. This is the album. This is when it comes out. These are the dates. I'm back. I'm ready to rock. And right. that'll be it. Yeah, Kerry King is all in or he is all out. He's either a hundred percent relentlessly but, on board, or he's not. But but he's also that guy that wants to be in charge of the narrative, and he's still that old. He's still that, which is virtually impossible now. Uh, but right. he's also that record company dude as well. It's like he's signed to a label, and it's like you know everybody knows what's happening when the label puts out a press release saying, "Right, here comes the album, here comes it, blah blah blah," and and that's it. You know, it's not going to be you know little bits dropped through social media or anything like that. It will just be, you know. Stat like a new Slayer record, it will just be all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's done and right. he's ready. And that's yeah, the first we'll Kerry know of King, it. very much the captain of Slayer, you know, very much the band leader of Slayer. And um, what he says goes, man. And I, yeah. I expect that to continue in, in his next project. I, I mean, I, I and, and funnily enough, I remember him, I remember him being interviewed about, um, about Jeff when Jeff was coming to rehearsals and trying to make a live comeback. And I, I, you know, I remember Kerry being, you know, sort of basically saying that it was quite, it was hard to basically say to him, it's, it's, it's kind of not, it's not there, is it? And he's, exactly. and, and straight away, Kerry was like, he knew, he fucking knew. You know, which is the only thing that stopped Kerry feeling completely bad was that, you know, and he said, it's not quite there. And, and Jeff was just kind of like, yeah, it's it's not, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Slayer, uh, they're going to do things their way and, and they know when it's not there. And and that was tough for Kerry to have to say, like, you're not playing a whole show 
but Carrie did that. I mean, that's that's a very dramatic scene in the book. Um, you know, Jeff Hanneman, of course, uh, was gone from the band for a couple of years. Then he came back for one of the big four shows, the one in uh, California. And he played some songs, but that was all the gas he had in his tank at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like two or three songs like the encore, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was, it was basically like, like Angel of Death, Raining Blood. Uh, it, yeah. It's on YouTube. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. It's Jeff's, it's 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 kind of, well, it's like his final moment in the band. Really, yeah, yeah. And, and make no mistake, there was nothing bad or inadequate about it. I mean, that was Jeff. It was it was very much a moment of triumph. It was a return. You know, he yeah. came back onto the stage. He did the best he could. But, uh, you know, as the, as the story shows, Slayer are mortal. You know, it's very much... As I'm going to say in a forthcoming episode of the episode or of the the podcast, Slayer is, uh, you know, it's not like so much a rock and roll story. It is, but their whole career plays out like a workplace drama, and that workplace <laughs> yeah. drama to shift gears and metaphor is like a sports team. You know, they they were young people who had this incredible physical and mental and artistic gifts, and then over the years some of that ability went away and sometimes it waxed and waned and came back. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Slayer, Carrie King just steadfastly maintains that they just always did what they do. Like we never did anything different. We're just continuing yeah. to do what we do. Yeah. But as an athlete, when you're 40, you can still do the same things that you do, but you will not get the same results. It's not the same circumstances. You don't live differently. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that they're on one hand obsessed with doing things the way they've always done them, but not realizing the other factors that really affect what they create and how they perform. And then eventually, undeniably, they're not getting quite the same results either. And um, if Rick Rubin, you know, Rick Rubin was their longtime producer maybe he could have got more out of them uh maybe if he would have worked with them a little bit more hands-on things would have been different i don't know um part of what the book gets at is that whole relationship between them and you know what ostensibly was their performance coach ostensibly what was the the phil uh what was the metallica coach's name phil towels phil, phil towel yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know um on one hand was it weak for metallica to get somebody to coach them up and get them to perform eh, you can argue the points but slayer always did things their way and they always got the results they got and over time maybe they diminished a little bit i don't know it's an interesting way to run an organization and that's part of what i look at in the book you know it's, it's not just people making records it's people wrestling with their physical limitations as they age well, also as as well, was it was it Kerry King who basically eventually put his foot down as regards Rick Rubin and said, "Look, I'm not paying paying that guy any guy any more fucking money." Yeah, that was we very much. Ever, yeah. We basically hardly ever see him, so fuck him. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's <laughs> classic Kerry. One of my one of my fields of of I don't know if I'm an expert in it, but one of the fields I really study is what I call Rubenology, the study of Rick Rubin and his career. <laughs> uh, as far as I can tell, I'm the only person that ever really sat down and did the math. Like uh, Rick Rubin has worked with something like 10% of the inductees in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the American Rock and yeah. Roll Hall of Fame. Nobody is close to that 
Phil Spector um, didn't have as long of a career, but nobody is close to 10%. But what does Rick Rubin do as a producer? He has this amazing, you know, godlike level of, of output. You know, he's worked with Johnny Cash. He's worked with U2. He's worked with everybody. And his first rock record was Rain in Blood. Yeah. At the time that he made that record, he was just some New York rap dude. And this was his first step into the greater world that he still exists in. You know, he's he's as big as music industry names get. So through the years, they had a relationship. But what kind of a relationship was it? Was he the producer? Was he more of an executive producer, as he's listed on later albums? Yeah. Uh, so it gets into the the give and take and what it meant for these two to be associated with each other. You know, was yeah. it political? Could you come right out and say that these two benefited from each other's association? I don't know. You make the call. I wasn't there in the room, but I, as with everything, I tell you what we know. Yeah. And the thing is, with Ruben, I think if you look at his career as well, he tends to really deliver when um, a band or an artist is in trouble. And like, you know, Johnny Cash's Johnny Cash career considered his career over when Rick Rubin came calling. Right. Neil Diamond. Name. Yeah, Neil Diamond. A legend, had, a god, but yeah, not an alias name at Neil, the time. Neil Diamond had never done, uh, had, hadn't recorded an album for years and had lost all enthusiasm. The Red Hot Chili Peppers were impossible to get back in the studio and clearly all off their fucking heads. Who can we get to just, and to put oh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I think what he did with them is genius. If you watch the Funky Monks, the documentary and everything else, despite its controversial moments, um, what you learn is, and there's, and you hear a little bit from Slipknot about this, is basically Rick Rubin went, I've I've hired this house in the Hollywood Hills, you know, where Sharon Tate stayed once and all the rest of it, knowing that that would all play in to the Red Hot Chili Peppers tripped out, ooh, a place to create vibe, you know, and he made sure that they had, that they, you know, that they could just live spot, like monks and he'd pop in and have a chat and hang out with them. And basically he knew, he knew the only way that they could get another album out of that band at that time was to make them feel like it was a holiday and so that like they were in charge and they could do whatever they liked. Right. But right. that's yeah. not what was happening. He was in there every day fucking steering the ship. You know? Yeah, you know, but as somebody that also, I mean, when I'm not talking about Slayer and that kind of thing, you know, I study organizational communication, I study motivation, I study management. And, you Ooh. know, as somebody that studies management, it's it's my firm belief that management sets a tone for an organization. Management creates an atmosphere where good things can happen or bad things can happen. If you go into a restaurant and a waiter is being short or snippy with you, or you go into a store and the uh, register clerk is clearly pissed off, it's probably because of something the management did that made them feel bad or made them yeah. feel underappreciated or they're pressuring them to do something they don't want to do. And management has not been able to motivate them to do their best. And what Rick Rubin does at his best is he creates an atmosphere, as you said, where you can get a great transcendent advanced 
startlingly accomplished refined album out of those dudes walking around with the socks on their dick yeah yeah basically management or good management is about empowering your the 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 empowering people in a system where the good can progress and thrive and the bad can't operate in it don't operate in it and leave your organization you know and that's ideally what ideally what you want and i'll give you a fascinating person to study from my own personal experience in business but this relates to sport is um Ted lasso is is for no it's former Leeds united manager um marcelo bielsa who came over from argentina and our club had not been promoted into the top division the premier league for 16 years and he arrived in the summer and that's a story in of its own so you need to start right at the beginning and basically the first game of our first season with him in charge it was all the same players that we'd had play in the last two seasons who'd finished 15th it was all the, all the same players bar one new player and we were playing against the team who were favorites to go straight back up to the premier league because they'd only just come down and we battered them absolutely battered them and literally thirty thousand people left the stadium going what 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 the fuck was that what was that what those players are shit what the fuck's happened next game we win three one away then and everyone's going what so my point is that not only did he manage to achieve one of the highest things you can possibly do, which is culture change, entire culture change, but he did it whilst retaining the vast majority of the staff. And that is like just insane because normally culture change is people who like the new culture stay, but most people leave because most people don't like change. Well, that's that's exactly the word culture change. But but the fact that he was doing it with, you know, I'll say elite athletes, not all of them, but they certainly became them. But he, it's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating story. I have written and that he, down. And he's also a rabid anti-capitalist. So he's he's and yet he earns 13 million a year. It, it's just is it, he's, he's South American. It sounds Rick Rubin-esque. Yeah. <laughs> Total tangent here. Um, thanks. Thanks for hanging in there, listeners. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's about producers and what they do. I mean, people, artists tend to misunderstand the role of producers. You know, and sometimes you find people that you work well with and sometimes you don't. I mean, Dave Navarro joining the Chili Peppers should have been magical and awesome. Yes. It didn't work out because people work differently together. But you you look at people that go to record with Steve Albini. And some people get awesome results. Um, High on Fire, Matt Pike, good God, that album. But some people come away saying, well, Steve Albini didn't do anything for us, man. Uh, Slipknot didn't have a great experience with Johnny Cash. They said, well, what did he do? We went there and he's not really doing anything. I'm sorry, you said so, Johnny Cash. Did you mean? I'm uh, sorry, Rubin? not uh, Johnny Cash. Uh, Slipknot with uh, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin, yeah. I meant to say. Well, that was Corey Taylor, who has since apologized. 
and basically because he was rather cruel about him but frankly i think kerry king would have just been laughing his ass off um because uh, yeah cory taylor really sort of got stuck into him and just said like you just you <laughs> to turn up eat food you know dribble over himself and 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 fuck off but the thing is again i think slipknot were at that slipknot were too functional or rather you know cory taylor was on his game and wanted somebody to push him but rick rubin was all about making sure all nine members were okay and a couple of members of slipknot said like i really loved working with him and like you know he I was having a real hard time at the time and, in, and I wasn't feeling very well. And he had this special herbal infusion sent over for me and it was great and blah, blah. And uh, exactly, exactly. It's like, yeah, that's how the rube works. Yeah. Yeah. Sending over herbal infusions. Meanwhile, that's not Corey's style. Corey's in the studio tapping his foot going, come on then, come on then. Show me why you're so fucking good. Get the performance out of me. I don't know I have. But that's... Exactly. But but it's like, no, you're not that dude. Yeah. So so to take it back to Slayer, you know, Slayer yes, over the years. Please do. Some years they got more out of Ruben and some years they got less and maybe, I don't know. It, it was a productive relationship until it was not. Yeah. But without a doubt, what Ruben, and it, amazingly with his very first metal album, what Ruben instantly got was the shitty production of show no mercy and hella waits that just fucked off right out the door. And all of a sudden Slayer who had two pretty shitty sounding albums had a fucking incredible sounding album that was pressed so loudly on vinyl over here. You have to weight it down with coins to stop the needle jumping out the fucking grooves. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, rain and blood of course was uh, engineered by Andy Wallace yes that's right worked with and steve Etz. and steve Etz. yeah steve steve Etz is uh i'm gonna try not to go down this rabbit hole but he's that's a fascinating guy uh one of the def gm real behind the scenes people that was a important part of so many great records and i've never really read much in depth about him that's something that i would like to go back and, and dig into and find all the people that could talk about his role with it I can I can tell you I can tell you one thing about him. He Wait was um, he was he was suggested as a um, uh, producer for our first full length album, The Fear. Really? Yeah, by our management, and our management were tone deaf and clueless. I mean, the other band they managed as well as us was Little Angels, who couldn't have been more different, as you can tell by the <laughs> name. Um, but they had a connection in the States and our manager had a conversation with Steve Etz about, um, about coming over and, and, and doing our first full length album. Um, wow. To walk around with that as a, what if in your life, that, that must weigh on you a little bit. Well, I, I, to be honest, we had at the time we had Kit Wolven who wanted to remix the album after we'd, um, already recorded it and uh, not with him. We had, um, Matt Wallace of Faith No More, he was our number one choice. The nice. producer of the of you know right. Um, so yeah, and he was he was a like a guy we were chasing as well. He came back with a straight no. His people were like, nah, we're not even putting this to him. Um, but um, but Steve, it kind of it withered on the vine. He was initially he was like, yeah, really up for it. 
so we were told and really excited um and then it was kind of like a no it can't be done sorry never mind well that's that's a guy who um a little troubled um oh, he, not the kind of guy that not the kind of guy that was going to leave his uh his daily environment oh uh, well i tell you what he'd have fit in right with us bit troubled <laughs> <laughs> Man, but but yeah, Rain and Blood was mixed by uh engineered by Andy Wallace. This guy yeah. that I mean, he's the guy that produced Jeff Buckley's Grace. Uh he I forget if he mixed or mastered Chinese democracy. I can't talk today. And did, did he mix um Nevermind as well? Yeah, and that that is uh yeah, that's the big one. Nirvana's Nevermind. Yeah. And yeah. Rain and Rain and Blood is what got him that gig. So Music in the '90s changed a lot because of Nirvana's Nevermind, and it sounded as good as it did because of Rain in Blood. Yeah, yeah. I've got to be honest; I'm really surprised, knowing how close Kerry was with Dimebag and how much he liked Pantera. I'm really surprised that um, Slayer never went down the Terry Date route. Well, their whole Slayer's approach—I mean, the reason that they stopped working with Andy Wallace is that he worked with somebody else. Uh, he worked on, with Sepultura, and Terry said, "Oh, we we can't use yeah. him now. It's tainted." That was Terry's quote, or Carrie's quote: "It's tainted." So uh, Slayer were generally, at that point, certainly not going to do anything that anybody else had done. Yeah. So they were even willing to give up Andy Wallace just because he'd worked with somebody else. Again, very Kerry, but again, I, well, I said a lot of stuff gets um, ascribed to him. He takes he takes a lot of shit, but it, like Tom was absolutely on board on uh, with with the whole. Yeah, Dave, you can go fuck yourself. Yeah, well, there was a lot of a lot of years of tension in there. I mean, I one of the times I interviewed Tom was back around the. Um, I think it was the tour when Dave was back in the band and they were playing Rain and Blood in its entirety, maybe after that, but in that general area, 2005, give or take. And this is in the book. I asked him, well, well, how are things different now that Dave is back? And he laughs. He goes, <laughs> are they different? Mm. And and that was kind of the end of the subject. So Dave came back and I, I think there were some mechanisms in place to make things more harmonious but i don't know that things did ever change with dave i think the problems they had at the beginning were problems at the end yeah yeah well i i was i was told on i, I was i was given the information by uh somebody very very close that basically as far as tom was concerned um uh when he came back to the band that was purely a business thing as far as he was concerned nothing had changed you fucked me over that's like you're still dead to me. I'll put up with you because you're the best guy for the job. But you fuck up again, you're out. He did, and he was. Long story short, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, oh, bands, man, bands—they're fun, aren't they? Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. So many fans that I talk to say, like, "Well, why? That doesn't make sense. They're supposed to be friends. They're supposed to be brothers." Like, no, no, it doesn't actually say that in the contract. <laughs> It's, I know, like, we yeah. like to believe that as a fan, but, you know, the narrative of Slayer's career is not what we as fans and we as regular people doing our thing. It's not uh, it's not what we might expect. 
you know, when, again, those guys are athletes. They're on a team. They're not friends. When you've got when you've got five um, egos, five artists' mentalities, five people who need to be heard because that is an artist. Five people who are all convinced that their ideas are the best and they should be heard. Um, the likelihood is that you are going to spend quite a lot of time arguing, and ultimately um, being unhappy and it's 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 a race to who gets pissed off with it and can't take it first <laughs> yeah, it's a race to the end um right look i've got some uh subscriber questions for you oh yeah absolutely lay it on me hey and let me mention this i don't know if we'll get to it but let me mention this every time i come on i have uh increasingly distant irrelevant uh inconsequential anecdotes from my existence my brief existence in the united kingdom and i have two and a half more of those so maybe we'll get to that right too. okay cool all right um well first up um cam valance says um have um has he heard from tom anything has anyone heard from tom no again yeah. what i did when updating the book i say this is what we know this is what we don't know slayer stopped giving meaningful interviews really before repentless came out and if you look at and deconstruct all the press they did around repentless just not meaningful nobody's going into depth it's very yeah. vague you know tom i think was done tom wanted to retire back in 2008 yes uh, if it wasn't for the financial collapse he could well have done yeah he, he very well might have so no tom has not been back on anybody's radar yeah, but that barely changed anything. Nobody was saying anything meaningful when it was something fascinating yeah. to me. If you haven't seen it, uh, go on YouTube and there is footage from a Slayer sound check of of I think it's Tom and Gary playing Freebird. Have you seen that? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's it's nice. I mean, they're just jamming little bits of it. I mean, you know what it's like at sound check, but it's fascinating. And I would love to see Tom come back and just tour clubs, like playing all the kind of music that he likes and could never play. Yeah, I'd, I'd pay good money to see Tom just uh, walking through the classic rock playbook or playing some funk or something. But yeah. no, to answer the question, um, Tom has not been back in the public eye. Fair enough. Question that right now, we've got quite a few questions from Stephen Smith. You're going to love these. Hey, Stephen, thank you for supporting the show. Uh, yes, thank you very means much, a lot. Stephen. Thank you. Right, here we go. Do you know if the Clash of the Titans 1990 gig at Wembley got recorded or filmed in full and will it ever see the light of day? We know that only a handful of Wembley songs got used for the live album and for the two promo videos, but I'd love to hear it in full. No, don't know that. Don't know that. That's that's a huge oh. question with pretty much any band. We see these little snippets yeah. of footage and man, what I would give for you know, a whole show yeah. of um, like the war ensemble video. Yeah. But no idea about that. Okay. Question. I mean, two. that's like the, um, every now and then we'll talk about the, uh, the ultimate revenge tour, how much of that was filmed. Where is it now? Who owns it? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. It thinks just shit just gets lost over the years. I know our master tapes all got lost. I mean, you know, it's just fucking half the course. Yeah. No, sorry. I can't help you on that one. Okay. Well, question two, goes back to the previous question 
Is it true that Jeff Hanneman smashed up his dressing room after the Wembley show and the police came around uh, because he was angry as someone, someone threw a missile at his guitar or monitor, which made him storm off for a few songs? Can't answer that one either. Um, right. These are these are UK centric rumors stories, are they? Yes, I was not there. If if you were there and that happened, I'll take your word for it. But uh no, I ain't I didn't get that uh that into the granular history. I might have to put you and Stephen in touch. He seems to have um he seems to have some information here. You know, it's it's we'll see how well this this phase of the project does. You know, I, I would like to do another Slayer book eventually and I I have a couple ideas and one of them would be to round up odds and ends like that, you know, things that don't necessarily reshape the whole narrative, but just like little grab bags, like Slayer trivia, what happened. Um, that is one of the things that did make Hanneman very mad when something would go wrong on stage and when he sounded bad, that's what would make him snap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no different to any other guitarist there. That's for sure. No, sorry, um, 0 for 2 here. I'm not doing No, well no, you, you can smash this, mate. Question three. What are the greatest ever Slayer lyrics and best ever riffs? Man, best ever riffs. Well, I mean, Raining Blood, of course, not just yeah. me. That I think that is, that's something like a Mozart composition. It's hard to think of a world in which that did not yeah. exist. I mean, you think of yeah. Mozart, dun, 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 dun. Raining blood. Da -na 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 -na. It's like it's something elemental that you found somewhere. You know what I mean? I can't remember a world without that. And now we're probably never going to live in a world without that. So yeah. it's not just me, but decibel readers in 2008, I think it was, declared that the number one extreme music riff of all time by a lot. By a lot. Yeah. I, so I've also... I've I've also got a particular favorite as well, which is obviously the um the the riff of doom in um halfway through Angel of Death. Oh, I mean oh yeah. I mean it's just you know, and those drums come in and sound huge and then it goes half time and Tom joins in and it's just like, oh my fucking God. Yeah, the the intricacy of that is that's amazing. Uh, that my favorite lyrics are post-mortem just the the it's not their most poetic moment <laughs> it's not their most epic moment um i mean they they have stuff that is worthy of of taking five words and turning it into a two-hour movie but my favorite personal lyrics are taste your blood as it trickles through the air just something about that is so badass taste your blood as it trickles through the air yeah, I mean, that's, I that's that's everything. That's the guys writing great stuff. It's incredible playing behind it. It is Tom, the narrator, just selling it, taking what the guys wrote and making it something bigger. Um, and it, it it feels personal. It feels like you're being threatened. Taste your blood, Howard, as yes. it trickles through the air. Shit, no, I don't want to do that. You're scaring me. Stop. Well, well, there's a reason why uh, Postmortem was the song that we covered when we toured Europe um because <laughs> we're a uk thrash band we thought you know we've only got one album out not many people have heard of us we need to cover so we we covered post-mortem fucking loved shouting do you want to die every night um just yeah awesome i, I also uh, necrophobic 
can't control the paranoia, scared to die. I just love that. <laughs> like, 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 oh, look, look who's scared to die. You're pathetic. <laughs> you pussy, scared yeah. to die. <laughs> yeah. Death. <laughs> I laugh in the face of it. Yeah, not us. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, but I, I do. But also, um, I think Kerry came into his 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 own kind of lyric writing in later years as well. Right. Uh, you know, part of what I do through the book is. I mean, I, I think as a whole, I mean, I'm not going to go on the whole rant here, but I can if you ever want to hear an insane person talk for three hours and never <laughs> shut up and end up more foaming at the mouth at the end than he was at the beginning. Talk to me about what I think the the differences between music writing and sports writing. Uh, sports right. writing, while not perfect, is so much better as a field, as a discipline, as a medium than music writing. Um, mm. music writing, uh, I'm cutting myself off here. Music writing is worse than sports writing for a lot of reasons. And one of them is they're bad on facts and they're bad on statistics and they're yeah. bad on things. Yeah. And when I'm writing the book, you know, I, I always, a couple times a day, I find myself with smoke coming out of my ears and I, and I say, Jesus, man, facts, facts are hard, man. Facts are hard. I understand why so few music writers use them. And that's that's kind of my approach as a music writer. I want to get facts in there. I want to make sure that things are correct. I want to get them right. I don't just want to say, well, Rain and Blood is awesome, man. I want to tell you what happened and why. Yeah. And uh, part of what I do through the book is I have career statistics about Slayer. Who wrote how many songs on this album? Who wrote how much music on that album? How many people did this? How many blabbermouth articles are there about Slayer versus Megadeth? There are ways that you can quantify how big and how literally significant a band is. And part of what uh, I do in that is just look at the uh, career stats. So you can tell up to a certain point, Jeff was writing most of the songs. Um, how many lyrics had uh carrie king received credit for when jeff died how many at the end you know how many were there in 1998 so yeah. part of what you get in the book is a breakdown of that when jeff died they were just about neck and neck with lyrical contributions but that's after jeff had stepped back a little bit Wait, you've um you've you've reminded me of something and this is purely a theory that i wanted to run past you um see what you thought or if there was any truth in it but jeff's last real um well diablos and musica is a hanneman album yeah that is the jeff album and it got a fucking kicking it did and and is is and and basically was did was that jeff going okay well clearly i'm shit again now so fuck that because his contri contributions after that album uh, now I know lifestyle inverted commas might have played a role in this, but um, it just seems that after that, there's a massive fucking drop off in in Jeff's contribution musically. Wow, you you just this is a very complicated issue. Yes, so um, that was a pivotal couple years for Slayer. Jeff yeah. as early, I mean, um, Diabolus was 1998. Uh, the previous album, Divine Intervention, was 95. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Jeff was having physical troubles on that tour, 95, 96. That's when he literally started to not be able to do what he could do. Uh, we detail this in the book. Uh, Rob Flynn told a great story. Oh, uh, shit, Rob Flynn yes. From Machine Head. Yeah. Um, told a story about how uh, Jeff would just be having hard times. He had arthritis. Uh, Slayer played on the Divine Intervention Tour. They played some songs as a trio. Jeff would have to literally step off stage and do what he did um, and then come back on. So that's when his body was starting to break down a little bit. 1998, he decided that he was the one that had to write some songs because nobody else was. And that was a difficult time. You know, Hanneman, as you said, or um, Diabolus in Musica, the album does get a kicking. I really liked it at the time. And at the time, if you look at what all the other big four bands were doing, that's probably the best album out of those. You know, No problem um, with it For, at the time or, or, or now. I've never had an issue with it. I think it's a perfectly acceptable um, Slayer album, and there's there's some good fucking songs on there. Yeah, so I don't I don't think that the critical reception turned him off as much, but I think that he was at that part, at that point, he was going into his downward spiral. Right. Yeah. You he know, was, he coming was limited towards, by what yeah. he could do, and uh, he was. I can't say what was going on in his head or heart. But but I at that point, as we said, those guys were getting older. Uh, they were settling into a certain kind of lifestyle, and they weren't doing the things that would make ideas occur to them naturally in 1986, 1987. Yeah, I always say it would be fascinating if you could take an artist that was in there, say 40, give or take, and pretty successful, just take them away from their life for maybe six months, have them wash dishes in a restaurant. And see what kind of ideas they come up with when they're still part of a social circle, when they're still hanging out with people, when they are still facing conflict, when they're still getting shit from a boss, when they still have um, ideas coming out in their head that they can't express and nobody wants to hear. You know, at that point, yeah. Jeff was very comfortable. Uh, he could stay at home a lot and not a lot was happening in his life to stimulate the kind of ideas that would come out in 1986 when he and Tom pop yeah. and Tom's Camaro and catch a buzz and just drive back and forth across California for a couple hours. I, I remember, I remember Kerry talking now about how Jeff used to come over and watch the football and stuff like that. And then it, it, it just stopped. He just stopped coming over and did we now we're in different times. Yeah, um, so I I think in 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 life one of the big things that affects how well you do is is sometimes you can get a little bit too much of yourself. You know, if all you ever do is get what you want the way you want it, that that takes off a certain edge, and that could have played into it. You know, there were certainly other factors, but at that point, as I said, Slayer insists that they were always doing the things they did their whole career; nothing ever changed. Yeah, but that's not good enough to get performance out of a world class team. No, no. Does that answer your question, not. Howard? I, it does. It does. Um, uh, yeah. I, well, like I said, you know, just a theory, just a theory. Um, and I was wondering as well if this, the the question we had earlier from Stephen about storming off stage for a few songs um, at the Wembley Arena show 
was connected maybe it was the fact that he was having problems but that was 1990 so i think that yeah that kind of yeah at that point that might have been just pure i mean young dude being angry i don't think that was that was a physical problem but yeah sometimes he would snap and and gear difficulty is what would make him snap there's a well, pretty good video about that somewhere well true story gear difficulties is what i had on the day because me and a friend were set off to uh to go to the wembley show and um the head gasket on his car blew so that was the end of that <clears throat> really yeah and that was the um uh, and he'd owned the car for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Man, you were saying, here, I'm looking, I'm looking at the book on page 249. This is uh chapter 56. The book now has 66.6 chapters. That's a coincidence, yay. I swear. I didn't make that happen. Um, one of the things that Hanneman hated, I'll list you the last three of six. Number four was traveling, he hated traveling. Number five, he said, Everybody I don't know, and I hate you. Um, <laughs> you being the listener, the interviewer, yeah. the one for the road, faulty gear. Hanneman said, equipment failures really piss me off. He said this to Guitar World, Randy Howard. He said, I literally start throwing guitars. That gets me upset. You're jamming along, checking out the crowd and having a good time. And then your equipment goes down. You can't just stop the show and say, oh, Jeff's got a guitar problem. So, yeah, that's. I would bet you six pounds cash. That is what happened in that incident. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you said you had a a couple of UK centric um, stories for me. Man, UK centric stories. Um, number. I'll, I'll try to make it quick. This time last year, I was in Ireland, um, and it, it was nice. It was nice. It was incredible. Uh, I'm not going to say that coming back was a mistake because I have family and people here, but. Uh, I wish I would have done more to contract COVID while I was there. And, you know, the first time we talked, we were talking about doing stand-up maybe and what it takes to get out there. And I said, eh, yeah, I got some some situ. I'll tell you off the air. Yeah, at the time, my health was really bottoming out. This was 2014, 16, something. Holy shit, we've been talking for a long time. It's a lot of years. You know, at the time... Uh, I was basically pre-diabetic. You know, I had no energy at all. And yeah. that was that was kind of the crest of it. Uh, I started doing, I started lifting real seriously. I stopped getting cardiovascular fitness and I was just dying. Like every day was all I could take to, uh, to get through the day. And I was barely doing that. So that's, uh, that's something. Long story short, I got my health back on track. And uh, this time last year, I climbed Ireland's largest freestanding mountain, Mount Nathan. Wow. Uh, with no kind of additional training, uh, no kind of preparation. Uh, we went to uh, my, my family's farm where they've been for 170, 175 years, something like that. Yeah. And the mountain was there and the mountain gave us a beautiful day and allowed us to climb it. Uh, and that was really something. So I went yeah. over those years. I went from barely being able to get through the day to climbing a mountain. It, it was nice. So that's that's one of my that's UK anecdotes. Man. It awesome. was something. Um, that was not the last time or the first time that I'd been in the UK, though. Um, I had this weird moment a couple of weeks ago where um, 
I was listening to random music and I heard the jams wasteland. Do you know that song? You're a jam yeah. guy. Yeah. Uh, the jams wasteland is the song for, for people that maybe don't know them as well. It has a recorder riff in it. Uh, and it yeah. sounds like something you could hear in a, a young music class, something like that. Played by Bruce Foxton, bass player, who I met in a London restaurant and he was very nice and gave me his autograph. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yes. I'm listening to that at work like two weeks ago. And you know, sometimes like something triggers something very deep in your mind. Yep. Hold on a second. There's a lawnmower outside. I'm going to close my window. <laughs> Can you hear that? Nope. Okay. So all of a sudden, I flash back to 1980 when I was living in um, England with my family. My dad was a scholar. He had a sabbatical. We lived in the town of Ware, south mm -hmm. of London. Yeah. And I remembered we were out in London for the day. He would take us to museums to see whatever, get some Cadbury's mm -hmm. chocolate, which is so much better in the UK. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Um, I remembered hearing that song all that time. It was either in a shop or maybe on a double-decker bus on a radio that somebody had, maybe both. And I remembered all of a sudden telling my parents, like hearing that and saying, I like that song. I like that song. I like that song. And they looked at me like, because I was eight at the time, like, well, what do you want from me? You like that song. So <laughs> what's your point? Um, and that was, that was just a trip to think like 40 years later, more than 40 years later, all of a sudden I remembered that, that yeah. song that, you know, to my mind, I never heard again until that point when I suddenly remembered it. That and that's... That's the beauty of music, and that is as cheesy as it is as it is the 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 phrase you know soundtrack to our lives. It 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 really really does make sense. Amen. So yeah, recently I, I had that incredible flashback to life in the UK, like hearing that when I don't know if it was a single, but it was certainly on the radio. That was something to me. But but that's awesome. The fact that music can can bring you can take you back to that place as well and and bring those memories back is uh, and the thing is as well is that you're now in a, you're, you're now at a time in life where you can go oh hang on right i can catalog this i can buy that song and those memories can come <laughs> back anytime i like you know exactly and as i i don't know if these two are consciously connected but you know one of the reasons why i'm doing the kind of monkey work that i do now is because my older daughter is in college she's just turning 20 today and we hit a point in life when I could not afford to not make money. I mean, Rolling Stone in 1972 for a cover article, cover story paid $750. I wrote for Alternative Press, the number two music magazine in America for 19 years. And when I was done for a cover story in 2021, 49 years later, they paid $750. So in all this time, it's become just an, an awful time to be a writer and to try to do that kind of thing. It's all connected. It's all yeah, connected so I, I've because it's the, the artists. Artists have had the same thing happen to them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just there's no money in it, but that's part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. But yeah. my my kids, like as a parent, anytime they would say they liked something, I would make it a point to get it for them. Like I could find a song like you like that song from a movie. Um, 
you can't buy a copy it's not on the internet I'll, I'll hook up the dvr or the dvr or the dvd player i'll rip audio of it onto the computer and burn it onto a cd so you could listen to it that's something that i just always made it a point like unlike my parents i never said well you like that song what do you want from me i'd yes. say okay you like that song i got it yeah uh, here you go you have it now you can hear it anytime you want it so yeah. i don't know i'm a little emo this 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 uh <laughs> this month obviously so there's that and then number three real quickly and i know we're way the fuck off base um as part of that return to uh our motherland ireland um my brother did one of those uh genetic uh, ancestry tests well right okay and and our trajectory was that uh my dad's mom's people are from county mayo in ireland up mayo mm -hmm. and my dad's dad's people are from county tyrone in north uh, north ireland mm -hmm. so uh their trajectory was they went from ireland and they went to england briefly and that's when my great-grandfather met my great-grandmother in england they married and then they came to boston as so many people of irish extraction did yeah so my great-great-grandmother was as it turns out from yorkshire specifically <laughs> there you go you lucky man you've got some yorkshire so in maybe you. that's why we get along howard i got some yorkshire in me oh mate well look it's been an absolute blast having you back on um and and i want to i want to check in with you as um uh as the series develops over the year as well um, yeah please do please do i will uh, you know I'm, will. I'm working on the pay we we got to talk a little bit about patreon i thought that was the kind of thing you could just set up overnight and it's not that simple. Uh, Apple podcast, as we've been talking about, is not so easy to get there. But I've set up the podcast in a way that I have a good month or two to build up steam and let people get used to it. It's sure. basically like I'm providing my own opening act for my podcast. <laughs> We're warming up a little bit. We're giving you six episodes. Well, look, it's a ple it's a pleasure to be part of your um uh, of your warm up team. <laughs> um thank you very much for coming on everybody make sure you check it out um links in the description uh and just search talking slayer in your podcast player hey howard listeners thank you so much for listening for having me for welcoming me into your your time i appreciate it and the moral of the story is go sign up to talking slayer and sign up to become a patron as well it's only three quid a month i've signed up um and i suggest you do too it's just the best stuff out there when it comes to slayer there's going to be all sorts of things you're going to learn and the stuff you're going to unlearn things you're going to find out that you thought were true that aren't true um yeah it's it's a great endeavor he's a top guy and um a real friend of the show and just a a, a real font of knowledge when it comes to uh, when it comes to slayer so hence he's on the fucking show look you guys know who he is you know the score support the dude and since doing this interview i've also managed to get um nige savage and a heather from chupacabra um uh, onto zoom and do an interview so that's coming soon with some chubacabra tunes as well check that out thanks to ferris again dx i don't know i've known him all these years still don't know can't tell you because i don't know but um awesome having him on the show um and signed up at patreon make sure you do that it's it's 
Patreon. But go to Patreon and just put Slayer book in and you'll find him. Talking Slayer logo, you'll see it straight away. Or just put Talking Slayer into your podcast player. You might even be listening to this podcast now. Listen to the end first. Don't fuck off just yet. Thank you. That'd be rude, you bastard. Right? Just stay with... St- stop it. Stay where you are. Focus. Focus, right? So, after this, that's the important word, after, after this, yeah, get it, get subscribed to Talking Slayer, okay? Make sure you do that. And while you're doing it, sign up at, at, at DX's Patreon. And while you're doing that, sign up at mine as well. You know, fuck it. Give us some money. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, it just, just slipped out there, didn't it, really? That's probably what it sounds like all the time, I'd imagine. Anyway, guys, it's the outro. It's the end of the episode. And I really hope you've enjoyed it. I, I I enjoyed putting it together. I always love doing these. Got some really cool interviews coming up. Got some really cool features coming up. As always, please tell everyone you know to subscribe. Tell everyone you know, you know to sign up for Patreon. And occasionally, tell everyone you know that you appreciate them. That you care for them. Unless you don't, in which case, tell them to fuck off. Yeah? Get out of your house and never come back again. And if you need a hand doing that... Let me know. I can send some people your way. I've no idea how this has ended up here, but it has. So, my lovely, lovely listeners, it has been... It's going to be ten years next year. Can you believe that? Ten years. Some of you have been with me for that entire decade, and for that, I am forever grateful. I'm, as always, forever grateful to you for just listening. Wherever you are, on the bus, on the tube, underground, in the sky, alive, dead, asleep, awake. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.